Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Minnesota suicide rates are on the rise. Talking Heads drummer Chris France shares a few memories of Minnesota in his close calls with Bob Dylan, and Twins TV broadcaster Dick Bramer has a preview of the shortened baseball season. But first... The Minnesota legislature resumed its special session this week, then adjourned after one day with one high-profile item partially complete, but another undone in a major disagreement between Republicans and Governor Tim Walz unresolved. MNN's Bill Werner recaps the busy week at the state capitol. Scott, as in the first special session, it was Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka who set the deadline, saying first thing Monday morning. It's basically today or it's not going to happen. Police reform measures prompted by the death of George Floyd appeared to be at least within striking distance. I believe that will happen today, and the fact that all interested parties, I believe, will say that these were good steps to take. But a bonding package for state public works projects looked to be a very long shot at best. House Republicans continued saying they would not provide the necessary votes unless Governor Tim Walz relinquished his COVID emergency powers. And a week of negotiations while the special session was in recess had not produced any agreement. House Minority Leader Kurt Dowd said about a bonding bill. If we don't get it done right now, we'll be back in a month. I think we all know that. So um, we can certainly keep working and, and get to agreement a month from now. And maybe things will look different in a month. The way current law works, the governor's emergency powers are canceled only if both the House and Senate vote to do it. Dowd wants the law to say the governor's emergency powers do not continue unless the House and Senate both agree to it. The impasse over the governor's COVID emergency powers punctuated by a heartbreaking announcement this week. We're very sad to report the death today of a nine-month-old who tested positive for COVID-19. The infant from the Moorhead area did not have an underlying health condition, said State Health Commissioner Jan Malcolm. As we understand it, this is one of the youngest uh, deaths reported in the country to date. In order to better understand the situation, um, we've... uh, asked CDC to do some additional analysis. With the end of the special session rapidly approaching, the Republican-controlled Senate passed a resolution urging Governor Walls to leave public schools out of his COVID emergency orders and let school districts decide whether students are back in the classroom this fall or whether they have to continue distance learning. It is the local school board that can best determine what is education going to look like in 2020 and 2021. Rochester Republican Carla Nelson, but Eden Prairie Democrat Steve Swadzinski voted against the resolution. A first kid died because of COVID, and I'm agonizing over whether or not they should be going back to school. As the final hours of the special session ticked away, lawmakers passed a police reform package that includes a ban on chokeholds and paid warrior-style training and requires officers intervene if another officer is using excessive force. This is a good bill. It is a beginning. It's not an end. Said St. Paul DFL Arena Moran, but other Democrats felt differently. I cannot go back to my community, to the families, to the relatives, to the mothers of all the black men that have died in the hands of the police and tell them that this bill actually responds to their calls for justice. Senator Patricia torres Ray from Minneapolis. While lawmakers were able to agree on police reform during their special session, 
A bonding bill was a different matter. The bill does not pass, having not received the required number of votes. House Republicans objected to the project mix, and their leader, Kurt Dowd, reiterated they won't vote for the bonding bill unless the governor gives up his COVID emergency powers. We'll be back here in three weeks. And hopefully next time, when you want our votes, you'll actually include us in the negotiations just like you told us you were going to do. House Democratic Majority Leader Ryan Winkler called Republicans' demands a stick-up. Either give in and let a bunch of anti-vaxxers, COVID deniers, conspiracy theorists run Minnesota's health care, or you can't have a jobs bill. The day after lawmakers ended their special session and went home, Governor Walls issued an executive order mandating face coverings in all public indoor spaces in Minnesota. The most effective way for us to open up our businesses, for us to get our kids back in school, for us to keep our grandparents healthy, and for us to get back that life that we all miss so much. Heavy-handed, said Senate Republican Leader Paul Gazelka about the governor's mask mandate, adding 86% of Minnesota is either in a very safe environment or already taking steps to control spread of COVID. The governor responded, I believe if we could get 95% compliance on masks, I think most of the activities that we like to do, we could do again, except probably large crowded bars with people not wearing masks next to each other. But I don't see any reason we couldn't do most of the other things. I have no idea what he's talking about when he says that. If we can get compliance, we may or we may not be able to go back to a Vikings game or reopen schools. U.S. Senate candidate Republican Jason Lewis. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, tail-wagging, backyard-hanging, and, of course, companionship. And what breed would you say Satchmo is? I'd have to go with maybe a lavish terrier-hound, chihuahua-looking kind of mix. Tremendous dog. I'd also like to point out Satchmo's coloring, a white, gray, brown, black brindle, simply marvelous. You know, it's such a treat to watch a dog like this. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive. And now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, the happy dance, so common with this group. And finally, the loving face lick. It's great how he just gets in there and, well, licks. Fantastic. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. A new study shows Minnesota's suicide rates are on the rise. Tasha Radop has more. The numbers are worrisome. Joining me to break down the study is Colin Planelp, lead author and senior research fellow of the U of M State Health Access Data Assistance Center, also known as SHADAC. Colin, can you give us some background on the study? Yeah, so as part of our study, we looked at suicide rates uh, across the 50 states and among some demographic uh, population groups uh, since 2000, going up to 2018, which are the most recent data available. And what we found were that suicide rates increased significantly for most states since 2000, and that includes Minnesota. 
what we found specific to Minnesota was that Minnesota has a relatively low suicide rate compared to the other states, the 12th from the bottom, but Minnesota actually had one of the higher rates of increase in its suicide death rate since 2000. It had the 18th highest suicide rate increase uh, among the 50 states in Washington, D.C. When we look at the state's increase, can you break it down a bit more for us? Yeah, so Minnesota's suicide death rate increased 48% since 2000, from 8.9 deaths per 100,000 people to 13.1 deaths per 100,000 people in 2018. And Colin, how do we compare to the national average? So Minnesota's suicide death rate is significantly lower than the U.S. rate uh, for 2018. However, Minnesota's increase in the suicide death rate was larger than the increase in the U.S. suicide death rate during that same time period. So essentially, Minnesota's suicide deaths are increasing at a faster rate than the U.S. death rate. In cases that you tracked, was the leading cause of death caused by firearms or something else? Yeah, so another part of our study was we looked at suicide deaths by method, and the way we uh, broke that out was looking at firearm uh, suicide methods versus a combined rate of non-firearm methods. And the reason we did that is because at the national at the national level at least those account for roughly half and half and uh what we have seen is at the US level there have been increases in deaths by both firearm and non-firearm methods uh over the past two decades or so and we see a similar pattern in Minnesota In Minnesota, what we found was in 2018, uh, that most recent year of data available, uh, deaths from firearm and non-firearm suicides were roughly equivalent, pretty close to 50-50. And you mentioned other methods. Are we talking opioids and prescription drugs? Yeah, so that rate for non-firearm suicide methods includes a, a variety of different causes. That includes uh, asphyxiation, that includes uh, poisonings such as uh, drug poisonings or alcohol poisonings and various other, other causes, basically anything except for firearm causes. And I know there's a lot of data out there, but did you folks break down the rates, I guess, by gender and or population? Yeah. So what we did for our study is because uh, it it can be hard to look for any differences in uh, subpopulation groups for any single year within many states, because many states have relatively low populations compared to, to Minnesota. And, uh, and larger states, what we did was we looked at differences uh, across ages, across sexes, by race and ethnicity, and by levels of urbanization for the entire U.S. And what we found was there were increases in suicide death rates 
for almost every single uh, individual group that we looked at, uh, but there were significant differences uh, among those groups in the absolute size of their suicide death rates. For example, some groups had relatively small suicide death rates, while other groups had death rates many times larger. And we also saw differences uh, among those subgroups in the amount of increase that they saw. We're about out of time today. Uh, Colin, anything else you'd like to highlight? Uh, I would like to mention a few of the more concerning uh, uh, findings that we had looking at some of those uh, individual demographic groups. Uh, one of those was the largest increase in suicide death rates that we found since 2000 was among children ages 10 to 14. Uh, their suicide death rate, while the lowest of all the groups we looked at, it uh, nearly doubled since 2000. Another concerning uh, finding that, that we encountered was in differences between rural and urban groups. Uh, we found that since 2000, rural areas have consistently had the highest suicide death rates nationally. Uh, and compounding that problem, we found that rural areas also had the highest rate of growth among uh, levels of urbanization with their uh, rate of growth increasing almost 50% since 2000. Thanks again to my guest, Colin Planelp, Senior Research Fellow of the U of M's State Health Access Data Assistance Center and lead author of the report. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Chris France has enjoyed a not-quite-once-in-a-lifetime run of success starting in the 70s and 80s, first as the drummer for Talking Heads and then again with Tom Tom Club, which remain beloved and influential bands today. France has just written a great new autobiography. It's called Remain in Love. I had a chance to speak with the talking head about his memories of the Twin Cities from back in his touring days and a couple of near misses with Minnesota's own Bob Dylan. Well, there was uh, Jay's Longhorn, which was uh, a really interesting place. It was like a, I guess it was the, um, the you could call it the CBGBs of, of Minneapolis. Um, we loved playing there. And it was like a, do you, did you ever go there? It was a restaurant. They pushed the tables back at the end of the night and set up a band. And I didn't. That's to, just, just ever so slightly before my time. But uh, another interesting thing happened that once we were playing, we were actually, the concert was in St. Paul. This, this, this is this, the tour that became Stop Making Sense, the movie. And uh, we were in St. Paul, and somebody said, Bob Dylan's in the audience. Bob Dylan's here. So we were like, wow, Bob Dylan's here. And uh, afterwards, this young girl, very attractive, I came backstage and identified herself as a friend of Bob Dylan. And she said, Bob, Bob would like to invite you back to his house after the show. And we said, great. We'd love to come. We got the address. 
And, uh, of course, this was the days before uh, uh, GPS. <laughs> right. So we're driving around suburban Minneapolis looking for this address, and finally we found it, and we knocked on the door, and the same girl answered the door, and she said, Oh, hi! And we were like, Well, here we are. There was like six or eight of us members of the band. We're here to see Bob, and she said, Oh, I'm sorry. Bob's gone to bed. <laughs> so that was that. <laughs> oh, how disappointing. Yeah, it was it was pretty disappointing. And uh but uh you know, that's that's how it goes sometimes. Did you ever cross <laughs> paths with him at any point down the road after that? Yes, I crossed paths with him. Uh we were we were invited to do when Roy Orbison passed away, shortly thereafter, his wife, Barbara, his widow, uh, Barbara wanted to have a, a concert in Los Angeles to raise money for a, a homeless shelter, a uh, shelter for homeless people, uh, which would have um, Roy Orbison's name on it. So we said, great, we'd love to do that. But, of course, David didn't want to do it. So we did it. Uh, Tina and Jerry and I did it as the Shrunken Head. Right. And uh, a, a lot of bands performed, but the headlining band, I mean, really a lot of bands performed. Uh, but the, it was at the Universal Amphitheater in Burbank. And um, uh, the headliner was Bob Dylan with the reunited birds, all the original birds. So uh, we we were not allowed on stage. Nobody was allowed on stage, but we were in the, the green room, the dressing room, watching the performance on a television monitor. And it was really cool. You know, they did Mr. Tambourine Man and a couple other Bob Dylan songs that the birds had recorded. And then uh, Bob Dylan, I, w- I was sitting there with, with Tina, Iggy Pop, uh, Emmy Lou Harris, Bonnie Raitt, Wendy and Lisa from Prince's band, a couple of the bangles, you know, we were all sitting there watching this, and all of a sudden Bob Dylan's security men came into the room and they said, you all got to leave, Bob's coming in and he doesn't want to see anybody. So I was amazed, everybody got up and left, except for me. I said, I'm not leaving, (laughs) I flew out here from New York, I want to see Bob. (laughs) <laughs> so Stood just, you up once I, already, right? Yeah. So I just sat there, and Bob Dylan came walking into the room. He looked around, and he said to me, Hey, man, where'd everybody go? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Oh, your security men were just here, and they kicked out everybody. Uh, and, and he said, They kicked out Emmy Lou? <laughs> said, yeah, I'm afraid they kicked, kicked out Emmy Lou, too. And he said, oh, that's <laughs> not good. <laughs> uh, uh, and that, that was the, the time I actually met him face-to-face. Well, that and uh, many, many more great stories are in the book, Remain in Love. One last question for you. Obviously, you it's a huge undertaking to sort of look back on your life the way that you did, and I'm wondering, what uh, what did you come away from the process thinking or experiencing? What were you most surprised by? Well, I, I, I'm look, when I was looking at all the uh, itineraries and, and uh, you know, all, the amount of 
shows we did and, and uh, the amount of, you know, records we made and everything, I, I, I think I think to myself, gosh, how did we do it? But the fact is that nine, nine days out of ten, we were really having a good time, and we just we just barreled through that career, <laughs> and we uh, we uh, we accomplished a great deal in in just really what uh, little over ten years. So, I, long story short, I, I'm 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 very grateful for uh, for the experience. Well, Chris, again, I can't thank you enough for you being so generous with your time. I highly recommend the book and uh, looking forward to getting this on the air for our listeners. And thanks so much for taking the time to share your stories with me. I appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome, Scott. I, I appreciate it, too. Thanks again to my guest, Chris France. You can hear more of my interview with Chris on minnesotanewsnetwork.com. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Your surgery is over. Oh, it's over? What happened? Hi, Mr. Detweiler. Dr. Newman here. You have a new knee. It went great. You'll be up and around before you know it. And it's all because of you. Uh, what did I do? You were captain of Team Detweiler. You told us everything we needed to know. Your medical history, your allergies and prescription meds. You asked me tons of questions. What your options to surgery might be, what to expect during recovery. You even asked me how many knee replacements I've already done. Huh, I guess I did kind of run the whole operation, didn't I? Mr. Detweiler, we couldn't have done it without you. Patient safety. It takes a team. And patient involvement is key. A public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. With more tips at orthoinfo.org slash patient safety. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota Twins opened the Major League Baseball season this weekend in Chicago against the White Sox. The truncated schedule includes only 60 games in the 60th season of Twins baseball. Longtime television broadcaster Dick Bramer penned a book titled Games Used, My Life in Stitches to help celebrate the first 60 years of Twins baseball. The book was released in March and is available at most online book retailers. Bramer spoke with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm about the new book, which Amazon has already placed in its Best of Sports Biographies collection. I spent the off-season between uh, 2018 and 2019 uh, pretty much writing the book, assembling pictures and and all of that. And the the reason I decided to go ahead with it was the launch date was going to be, and was, the middle of March this year. And I wanted it to be kind of a unique Twins history book because, Mike, uh, I'm just barely old enough to remember the very first Twins game that was played back in 1961. I was a kindergartner back then, and and so I thought, well, maybe we can make it a self-deprecating book. That was uh, one of the qualifications I had, too, but a, a book that would kind of talk about the Twins' history for 60 years from the perspective of a fan of growing up in this state and then later of a team broadcaster. Uh, with the idea that it would be kind of a nice way to honor the 60th anniversary of Twins baseball. And then, lo and behold, we didn't know if the 60th year of Twins baseball was going to be in 2020 or 2021. But 
uh, that was the reason I wrote the book. Uh, for for uh, basically, it's a love story uh, that I've had with the game of baseball and with the Twins organization. And you put a unique spin on it. Uh, the, the subtitle "My Life in Stitches," and then you also kind of interwove uh, the idea of the baseball stitches, 108 stitches in in a in an actual baseball with uh, with 108 unique stories, right? Yeah, and so when I got down to writing uh, the book. Uh, the first step was to try to figure out uh, Triumph said, hey, we want, you know, 80 percent of the stories to be, you know, about your experiences with the twins, because that's what's going to drive sales of the book. And I understood that. But I had to come up with, you know, 108 stories that I thought the you know reader would be you know most interested in. And, uh, you know, it was an interesting process, Mike, because I, you know, as a broadcaster, you know this, too. You think something you say it, it's out in the airwaves and. You know, if it doesn't end up on YouTube someplace, it's over and done with. Well, writing the book was different because I would, you know, write a stitch or a story, and then I'd go back and read it again and change words and sentences and, you know, paragraph structure and all that. And I was a, you know, my, I was a pretty strict editor, you know, of my own work. And you don't get that chance as a broadcaster. But in dealing with the written word, it was, it was an interesting challenge, one that I, I frankly enjoyed. And um, how um, how has it been received? I'm sure a lot of people have enjoyed it. Uh, what, what's the feedback been like? Well, the feedback's been pretty positive, and, and uh, that's very gratifying. We, of course, had a difficult time selling the book when the bookstores were closed and Amazon had it sold out for most of the month of May. But uh, two people uh, in particular uh, offered some uh, uh, nice reviews. One was a Tony Oliva who uh, made a point of calling me to tell me that uh, it was the first book he had start uh, read from cover to cover in English in his life. Hmm. And that really touched me because, <laughs> of course, everybody up here just, you know, reveres uh, Tony. And then my elementary school teacher in western Minnesota, and I wrote about her in the book, how we had kindergarten through eighth grade, a total of seven students. Well, she's still very much alive and active and and sharp as a tack and all that. And she reached out to me, said she enjoyed it. So I figured if the person who taught you how to read and write likes your book, maybe you did an okay job. Well, it's a, it's a wonderful book. And I think as we're getting closer and closer to the start of baseball season, if people want to get their fix, uh, this would be a good uh, good preseason uh, uh, read. Um, how can people get their hands on a book? Well, the bookstores are open now. And the last time I checked, all the Barnes & Nobles in the uh, region uh, had it. It's available on BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com. Well, very good. I've kept you longer than I promised, but you uh, you are such a good storyteller. I kept having to uh, continue to ask questions, so I appreciate uh, all of the time, and uh, we're looking so forward to uh, watching you on TV and uh, watching Twins Baseball coming up here shortly. Well, thanks, Mike. I do need to, uh, I think, warn the viewers that you know what when the games are on, uh, we're going to see and hear things that we've never seen nor heard in a base at a baseball game on a telecast before, and we will not see nor hear some of the things that we've grown accustomed to. Won't be any fans in the stands. Home runs will be bouncing around in the outfield seats and all that. But I, I think everybody who has any affection at all for the, the game of baseball is really looking forward to the season getting started. That's Dick Bramer and MN Sports Director Mike Grimm. Let's hope the Twins have a great season. That's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.